trials and tribulations, happy accidents that led to groundbreaking discoveries. Have you ever wondered how some of the most groundbreaking discoveries came to be? How a simple mishap in the lab or an unplanned observation or unintended experiment turned into life-changing marvels? I'm Anna. I'm Alexandria. And this is The Tea and STEM. All right, Anna, let's dive on in. This is called The Case of the Mistaken Genitals. Ooh, we're getting spicy. <laughs> no, not really. My spicy. Okay, uh, first I want to talk a little bit about MS disease. Some facts. MS is an autoimmune disease. The immune cell TH17 attacks the myelin sheath, okay? The myelin sheath is what goes around the axon of the nerves, which um, from the brain to the spinal cord. This sheath acts as an insulation that assists in sending signals from the brain to the spinal cord to the rest of the body. The damage of the myelin sheath causes a variety of symptoms that are seen in MS patients. Sensory disturbances, loss of motor functions, and cognitive deficit. I just want to make sure I'm understanding this right. MS is a deterioration of that protective layer around those axons in the brain that sends signals for the nerves to tell you the rest of your body what to do. Yep, pretty close. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. That's what it is. It's a autoimmune disease, so your body is attacking itself, causing this to happen. This TH17 is what breaks down that sheath. This brings us to Melissa Brown. She's the lead researcher at Northwestern University. She's published her findings on the Guardian Molecule in 2018. I like the name for that one. It actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, right? Melissa and her research group were getting ready to study female mice and encephalomyelitis. Now, encephalomyelitis is the mice comparator to the human MS disease. The mice would get the encephalomyelitis, which is the closest thing to getting MS in humans. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Okay. So you might be asking yourself, like, well, why just female mice? Female mice were chosen because they exhibit a higher incidence or a more severe disease state. So they're easier to study. Okay. So you're going to see more symptoms, mm -hmm. more exaggerated symptoms. You don't have to work as hard to see the changes. Right. Um, so her and her students or her research group, that was the plan. The research tech was in charge of taking these little pupper mice, which their little mice babies are called pups. That is adorable. I know. And what they're like. Maybe an inch big. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have no idea. I've never seen little mice baby before. Uh, so this lab tech was in charge of getting all the female mice and putting them into their two groups. The control group was the healthy female mice. And the test group were going to be the immune suppressed female mice. The idea is that the control group would get MS. But if you suppress the immune system, right, because this is an autoimmune disease, they would not get MS. Okay. So the mice that had a suppressed immune system don't have a, as much of an immune system to attack themselves. Right. Because it's and an autoimmune so disease. They would be less sick. Right. Okay. Less of them would get sick. That's the idea. The control group, healthy group, expected to get MS. The immune compromised group, they're expecting, would not get MS. Okay. okay. That makes sense. They put the mice into their groups. They do what they're going to do with them. They're waiting for the results to come out. And the results come out as the opposite happens. What? Yeah, dude. So a couple of the mice in the control group get MS, but some of them also don't. And then the immunocompromised mice, some of them get MS and some of them don't. 
totally inconsistent. Miss Brown is just besides herself, doesn't know why are the inconsistencies here. So she gets the smart idea of let's just take all the mice that got MS and put them in one corner and all the healthy mice in another corner and let's just one by one figure this out. So she looks at him and she realizes that male mice were in the mix. That is crazy. And think if she just got rid of them all saying, oh, this didn't work. There must have been something Mm -hmm. wrong. We're just going to try again. Let's just try again. Yep. Oh, something got screwed up. Let's just start over. Yeah. Nope. She just kept pushing at it. And so it turns out that the lab tech didn't know how to identify female versus male baby mice. I mean, I don't know if I could. Do you have to like wait for balls to drop? Like, <laughs> I knew you would when say they're that young. Like I don't know. I don't know how to tell the difference. Like put little bow ties on one, right? Like, little pink dot, little blue yeah. dot. See what happens here? Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know how to tell the difference either. I'm, I would assume that they were trained in this. That lab tech maybe made an assumption and didn't ask for help and just did what she or he did. And so that's that's what came out is that the lab tech didn't know what she was doing. Um, Melissa found out that male mice were in the group, but this is what made the world of difference in the disease of MS. Melissa started... So did the males mm-hmm. get sick? Or, like, did she find out which ones were in which group, or was ah. it all mixed up? Right. She then started looking into what made the outcomes difference when it was males versus females in the control group versus the test group. When you suppress the immune systems in the males, the males got MS. When you oh. suppress the immune system in the females, they did not get MS. That is interesting. Right? Why? Here's here's to the guardian molecule. This led to her discovery that she made. The male mice were least likely to get MS because they had something that was naturally protecting them against the autoimmune disease. As many people know, men tend to get MS later in life and women get MS younger in life and have a higher chance of relapse. Okay. All right, stick with that theory for a minute. She's diving in with the information that she knows to be true and why she's got these... Uh, two different sexes and two different outcomes. So she realizes that the males produce a cascade event, that the testosterone in males produce a cascade event in the immune system. They produce what's called the guardian molecule, which she's quoting as the guardian molecule. Molecule. It's the cytokinin's IL-33 molecule. Okay. The guardian molecule um, prevents another immune cell called the TH17 from developing. If Which you, is the one from the beginning. Right. So if you remember, the TH17 is what actually destroys that mole, um, that uh, myelin sheath. Okay. So the guardian molecule protects the immune system from making the TH17, which and is the testosterone that does that. My testosterone. Right? The cascade that event. That sense because then you're talking, you know, women tend to have low testosterone mm-hmm. early on in life. Men tend to lose their testosterone later on in life. Mm-hmm. And, and then with, women have influxes of testosterone depending on what age that they're mm-hmm. at. So that's why they have higher um, higher cases of relapse. That yep. makes sense. How did no one ever catch this? <laughs> it's because of happy accidents. When she suppressed the male mice immune system, they got MS. Mm-hmm. She took the guardian molecule away and the TH17 was allowed to take over and destroy the myelin sheath in the males. Oh. So now she proved it. So yeah. she had a, a theory based off of those findings and then she went ahead and she proved it again. So she proved in her female mice, if she gave them the guardian molecule, she reversed MS and she protected them from getting MS. That is amazing. This is cool, man. This is cool. She went on and gave mice the guardian or the testosterone for 12 months. And she noticed that they also had an improvement as well. This opens a lot of doors up for using testosterone 
as a replacement therapy for MS, but there is a problem with testosterone. Long-term testosterone is not ever a good idea. It causes lots of side effects like visual changes, bloating, face swelling, bone and muscle pain and dizziness, stroke, heart disease, things of that sort. So long-term high doses of testosterone is not really a good idea, but it is good for a short-term idea. Yeah, and you then know? where's that trade-off of these MS symptoms versus the testosterone symptoms? Is there a way to balance it? Doing like phases? Yeah, and then it also went and proved that... Um, this guardian molecule, when she was able to give it out as a treatment to protect and to help revert MS, like that's its own discovery right there as, as a new treatment option. Well, I don't know what's going on in the world with that right now, but I'd really like to know where that's at. Another thing um, that was really interesting to find out is that our what what Ms. Brown said was that our findings have identified new and more specific cellular and molecular targets for immune interventions. We hope will lead to better therapies that leave most of the immune system intact. Brown said that this testosterone-driven protective pathways should be studied in other female-based autoimmune diseases. The study has proven that males and females need to be studied separately and analyze sex groups differently when we are are investigating different drugs or diseases because their adverse events are going to be differently. How we process medications in males versus females is differently. Fun fact, this led me down to an awesome rabbit hole because Ambien, that's a sleep medication that's already been out on the market, was proven to be much more effective in males than females. And it took 21 years to prove in clinical studies and aftermarket research that that was a fact. Wow. So what are they doing? Are they are we seeing less of prescriptions for women? Are we seeing a different dosing? It's different dosing, and it's the way that women were processing the medication. How fast they processed it um, was longer. And so it's recommended to be, like, a less of a dose. Uh, I guess there was studies where people were – more women than men were sleepwalking. More women than men would have, um, like, memory loss – to where they didn't remember getting to work the next day or, you know, their normal morning routines they didn't remember doing, things of that sort, uh, which were thought to be like, oh, just an adverse reaction. No, it was just found in women. So if they dose different, they wouldn't have those reactions. One dose doesn't fit all. Yeah, We know this already for weight-based dosing. It could be sex-based dosing as well. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. You see that different diseases present differently in men versus women. Mm -hmm. Different races have different percentages and like leanness of getting different diseases. Yep. Um, metabolisms are different in people. Yeah. And that can change how you're processing medications. Right. And I get that you can't have a bunch of different doses of medication out there. There comes a point where it's like it's too much. You can't manage. Mm -hmm. Every single person has to get all these metabolism tests and all these hormone tests before they get medications. But there can be a little bit more leeway maybe in this research to not just group everyone together. Right. I mean, this can branch off to a whole other conversation here, too, of not just should we be recording our adverse events while in clinical trial, but when they do the data analysis afterwards, that they should be separating those into fields of not just weight-based, but by sex as well. Mm -hmm. And maybe expanding that to the next phase of study for weight-based dosing or you know, men are enrolled into like per weight or per men should be enrolled into this dose study or per women should be enrolled into 
this dose study. And that dosing could be, you know, everyday dosing, every other day, every week dosing, like separated that way too, mm-hmm. just just to see if there is a difference. I mean, just going off of what it says here by Ambien alone, but then even just studying the disease field, like MS, everybody knew that MS treated men and women differently, but they didn't know why. Yeah, and why aren't we looking more into why is it presenting differently? What's different about it? And how can we use that to better understand treatment? Because of this happy accident, they were able to fall and trip on the answer. But nobody was looking for it. Nobody had a theory to go look for it. Like, that that's what surprised me as long as MS has been around and that we've known about it, that nobody's actually gone to ask the question. Maybe the research is out there that somebody did try to ask the question, but they just didn't come up with the answers. Yeah, or you didn't get enough interest. I mean, we've seen different indications tend to bring out of the woodworks more males versus women mm-hmm. who want to participate in that clinical trial, even if we have the same about amount of patients with that indication in our database. Yeah. Some just seem to, men seem to care about their symptoms more or are more interested in the research. Per disease. Per disease. And other times it's women. Yeah. And, you know, there could be other factors of time commitment um, the oh area God, of yeah. town you're in and what tends to be people's availability. But who knows? We definitely have some studies that are male dominated, mm-hmm. even though we do reach out to equal amount of women and vice versa. That is a really good point. Like if I'm just going back historically speaking, um, out of all the studies that I've done, I'm making a very generalized statement. There's no facts behind this except my own experience. If it's the way I feel, it's more men-driven studies. If it's the way I look, it's more female-driven mm, studies. Like eczema versus yes. upset stomach kind of things. Yep. I can't swallow food compared to, like, I get hives or rashes because of food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. I'm just thinking back to it, like, of all the different types of fields of research that I've been in and all the different types of studies that I've done, I had more of a higher turnout for mm-hmm. things that were projected on the outside for females. Or mental for females. You know what? I bet there's research out there about that, about the differences of what men and women seek out care for more, more. primarily. Yeah. Yeah. That That's definitely interesting. That's something we can look into for um, another. Ooh, I wonder if anybody else has any takes on that or opinions of what they've seen. Like if you've done research or clinical research and you're like, oh, I noticed I have a higher turnout of females for these types of studies. Interested. Just want to know. Yeah. And then are the men getting left out if their treatment might be different if something it's something like MS, mm-hmm. where maybe they aren't showing up yeah. to these clinical trials. And so we're only seeing results primarily that lean in one direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Well, thanks, Anna. That was amazing. Hey, this was fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you.